Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Monday. It's a weird Monday podcast because we just had a USC football game last night. The Trojans defeat the Washington State Cougars on a Sunday early evening, uh, 38 to 13. We're going to talk about that with the coach, Harvey Hyde. we got some breaking news as far as the NCAA transfer portal goes with USC, but the Trojans are now 4-0, and sitting atop the Pac-12 South in the driver's seat, not just a win, the division, but also host the Pac-12 championship game with all the turmoil that's going on in the Pac-12 North. So we're talking about all that with the coach, Harvey Hyde. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, we got a couple of voicemails to get to today. 424-254-9141 is the number. And if you have uh, an Apple podcasting app on any of your devices, Please subscribe to the Parastyle Podcast, but also leave us a five-star rating and any kind of review with comments, feedback, suggestions, any questions you have, we can bump up to the top of the list, but we really appreciate that because it helps to grow the show and we're kind of winding down the season, which is crazy that, you know, USC's 4-0, but the season's coming to an end here pretty soon. We want to talk about all of that with the coach Harvey Hyde. He is on the line right now. Coach, how are you doing? Brian, I'm doing great, and I want to say happy holidays to everyone out there. It seems as though this football season uh, took a while to get started, and uh, it's really going through quickly now. All of a sudden, we have the SC-UCLA game finally, and then we have the uh, following weekend to see who's going to be playing in the uh, conference championship game. So <clears throat> it's been a, uh, well, what do I want to say, a, a different type of year, not only in uh, athletics and sports, but everything, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't be any more different than what we've seen. Uh, this was the first week we've had all uh, six Pac-12 games go through, so sort of knock on wood for that. The only delay was obviously USC playing Washington State on a Sunday uh, late afternoon, early evening. That was definitely something to to see there, and you know, watching that one was was different than what we've seen in the past, Coach. But we want to we want to get to all that. We have um, we actually have a little bit of. A- Breaking news, former five-star prospect uh, inside linebacker Palaie Naoteote from Bishop Gorman High School missed the last couple of games with uh, being in concussion protocol. USC's pretty thin at inside linebacker and played actually Talanoa Hufunga and a little bit of Drake Jackson there uh, in the game against Washington State because Raylan Goforth was also out with his foot sprain. But now, as of this morning, Palaie Naoteote has entered the NCAA transfer portal. It was being reported that USC's not pulled any kind of uh, financial, uh, you know, uh, financial pledge to Pallier, so they, you know, could keep they could allow him to come back. I think USC would be open to that. That's something that Clay Helton has always been open to. He's not someone. A lot of times, coaches and someone enters the portal, they shut the door, and that player's out for good. So I think USC's still holding out hope that he will come back because USC is very thin at the inside linebacker spot. So we don't have a lot of details of what's going on uh, with this yet. It just kind of happened. But, Coach, I want to get your thoughts on that before we jump into anything else. Well, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed for the program at USC. I'm disappointed for the kid. 
kid was a five-star coming out of Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas. I watched him play in high school. He's a great player, just a great player. I'm not sure that the USC utilized him as far as in the uh, uh, right position. I don't think he's a, a weak side linebacker. If anything, he's a middle linebacker. He's a guy that likes to get after people. He's a rush type of guy. I watched him rush a quarterback in high school, and he gets after it. And I think you've heard me talk about it all the time as far as putting players in the right positions where they could be successful. And I think the two linebackers that have come in and played, I'm not talking about Drake uh, Jackson playing linebacker inside. I'm talking about the ones that have come in and played have done an outstanding job. They got after the football. They flew around. They did some good plays. And, and you know, you, you get discouraged. He's had some injuries, too, along with his uh, concussion. So he's uh, down expected bigger things that the bigger things didn't come so he's probably looking for another place and i don't think he'll come back i mean i think that your door is always open but unless they talk to him about a position change or why he should come back i think he's gone yeah i kind of agree with you coach um you know his brother too was you know uh, part of the recruiting class that, that you know that seems like that could potentially fall apart also but um you know usc is pretty thin at the inside linebacker spot and We've seen people have um, differing opinions, I guess you could say, with medical staff from USC before where players were held out and didn't feel that they should have been. I'm not saying that's the case here, but it's taken him a while to come back from this, you know, concussion to be, you know, it's been, uh, you know, about a month, I think, since he had the concussion. So is there an issue there? I don't know. It's hard to say. So we don't really know a lot at this point, but that's something to uh, look forward, you know, we'll, we'll check out, but only a couple games left. You saw, you know, Talanoa have a pretty huge game playing up closer to the line of scrimmage. They've used a lot of dime packages, but um, what, let's get to the game a little bit, coach. It was an offensive explosion in the first quarter. Keen Slovis had five, four touchdown passes, all of them to Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown had zero uh, touchdown catches through the first three games. He gets four in the first quarter this game, so it ties a USC record uh, for touchdowns in a game. He didn't get another one, but that's, you know, he ends up uh, five, you know, Keaton Slovis had five. He ended up throwing another one to Tyler Vaughn's. Um, but big offensive explosion that is sort of like kind of cruised to, you know, the end here and, and you know, going on to a, a 38 to 13 win. But get, kind of get your overall thoughts. I know we have a bunch of questions and we'll, we'll address some different things, but get your thoughts, coach, on uh, this game. Well, first of all, congratulations to the Trojans. Uh, always a big win when you win 38 to 13. Uh, as far as to uh, record setting, St. Brown, congratulations to you. That was quite an explosion in the first quarter for you. And I saw him look up at the record board. He couldn't believe it himself, or not the record board, but the video board. He couldn't believe it himself. And congratulations to him. Uh, you know, I, I'm into stats, but I'm into winning, and I'm into how you play the game and all the different things that go along with it. So I want to say I thought the two offensive linemen, the freshman linemen, I'm going to be positive on all these things uh, as far as the good things that happen. And I'll also talk about the things I wouldn't, I have some concerns about. I thought the two kids, Ford and uh, Monahan, I thought had a pretty good game. I watched them uh, a lot. I thought they had mobile. Uh, they were mobile. They they moved around good for their first game. They they talked uh, a lot with Tucker and the other offensive line. They really communicated. So I thought the three inside guys who weren't regular starters did a great job as far as coming in at this late notice and playing. 
I think that uh, uh, the guy that sets the tone on the offensive side of the football is is Drake London. I think uh, he has made the football team, as far as the receiver portion of it, a tougher group of guys. He's a he's a leader by example. Uh, he when you catches the football, you got to kill him to knock him down. And I think that's sort of spread throughout the receivers, as far as all of them fighting more, as far as the extra yardage and so on. So I think. Really, he's been a great example as far as what he's done for the receivers. I think they have a great group of receivers. Uh, as far as Keaton's concerned, I thought he had a a, a game uh, that uh, was good enough to win. Didn't have to set all the statistics, throw for 500 yards and all the rest, which he didn't do. Uh, but uh, they had found a way to win, and they did win. So I'm, 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 I thought that that was good. I would have got him out of the game a lot earlier. And giving Matt Fink some experience, because you've got to have somebody uh, get some experience as far as behind you. And probably the reason they didn't do that, they're more into stats on how many yards he can get and all this and that, rather than, uh, you know, bringing your football team along. Very, very disappointed in the running portion of the football team, as I am every week when I talk with all of us. 20 carries. Five yards net. Yeah, I know every time he gets sacked, they deduct it from the net yardage, but they also give him yardage when he throws a one-yard pass and the guy runs 50 yards. It goes towards the passing stat. But very, very disappointed in all the rotations of the backs and really no no thought of having any type of running game. Or when they change the defense up in the second half and they get away from the man coverage, which they should have never ran against USC. They can't match up Washington State with USC whatsoever athletically. Then the second half, the score was 7-3, to three, which I was very disappointed that the Trojans couldn't finish in a stronger manner and work on their running game, but they have no philosophy on the running game as far as what they're doing or trying to do or whatever. So uh, on that on that note... Uh, I might say, too, I expected that victory on a lot of shows I did. I said if they didn't win and cover, uh, that isn't getting it done. Because if you plan on playing Alabama, Ohio State, Iowa, Notre Dame, you ought to be able to beat Washington State. I don't know if there's a player, and those players, don't get me wrong, they played hard, Washington State. felt sorry for them at the times. They were outmanned. I don't think there was a player on Washington State's team that, was offered a scholarship at USC. So I would say my X was bigger than their O, and I should do what I did in a more fashionable way, in a more dominant way than uh, what really happened. So time of possession was more Washington State. I'm not a stat. Maybe I shouldn't give you all the stats because I'm not a stat guy. I'm a performance guy. And did you use your players in the right place? How about, how about Drake Jackson? Uh, I've been talking about that every week. <laughs> A freshman All-American, first-round potential first-round draft choice, tackling on the tackle list, one assist. One assist. Now, here's one of your most valuable players on defense. I, I talk about putting him in a position where he can be a, a, a force and make a difference. One assist. You got a guy 6'5", 250, or whatever he is, dropping back into coverages. I just don't know what's happening there. So I'll get that all out, and then we'll continue on. And uh, congratulations to all of the uh, fans and parents that listen. A big victory. You're in a, a position now to play UCLA and go to the championship game. And we don't know who we're playing as far as from the north. 
Uh, it could be Washington, could be Oregon. So we'll see what happens. The uh, so you mentioned Drake Jackson a little bit and the disappointing performance there. What about a guy like Talanoa Funga, who ends up you know having to play that Mike linebacker spot with uh, Raylan Goforth out? He gets an interception, almost returns it for a touchdown. He leads the team in tackles. Uh, he has a sack. Guy like that, where you know you're moving him around and just putting him in a different spot, and he's still out there making plays. What did you think of his performance? I thought it was absolutely fabulous. I tweeted out, I forget when, third or second or third quarter, that he's the most valuable defensive player in the Pac-12. There's no question in my mind. He plays with an attitude. He's a leader. Uh, he's around the football. Every play is around the football. Okay. They ticked him off a little bit earlier in the game when he tried to help up a Washington State player, and the guy turned around and sort of shoved him, and he was trying to really help him. And after that, it was all over with, okay? Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. And he just uh, did a great job. He's the most valuable defensive player in the Pac-12. And uh, for a guy that goes from safety to linebacker, like is that – I mean, how would you feel? Is that a, a hard move to make? for just a game like this? Well, when you're a football player, and he's a football player, okay, there's some people that uh, are football players and and are big and are fast and so on, but this guy doesn't make any difference to him. You could put him at a defensive end and he'd do a great job because he plays his his motor never stops. Uh, He plays. uh, It's a a difference. But, you know, in his position that he plays, he's making 15 tackles anyway every week. He's on the line of scrimmage hitting everybody. So you put him in there where he has a better opportunity to make more tackles and and cause more havoc and rush the passer and do all the things he does. And and he's a great leader. So, you know, I would say he's the leader on the defensive side of the football 100%. You better play hard if you're playing with him. Otherwise, he'll let you know it. He leads by example, just like London does on the offensive side of the football. Lead by example. There's no raw, raw much going on. Just the type of kid he is, and he'll play anything. He's coaches put me in, and and I think that's the type of player you want if you can get him at every position. Yeah. And by the way, let me let me mention this. I thought the secondary really played hard too. I really think they played hard because of his leadership in that area too. I thought the guys, you know, they they could cover the Washington State players because they didn't have great team speed or size, but they play hard on the defensive side of the football. That's what I like. They're playing hard. I mean, you could, you know, sometimes I don't like some of the things they're doing, but they play hard. Those kids really play hard. And another thing, and I don't know if it's from the coach or not, but when a defensive back goes down, the other secondary guys come and circle him and around him because they care about him. That's showing another little extra thing if you watch that. And they watch him, they make sure he's okay, they check with him, they help him up or whatever. Now, that's what you call caring, and that's how you develop a team. Yeah, that was for uh, Greg Johnson went down a couple of times. And the one time it looked, he ended up coming back in the game, but it looked kind of serious, and the whole uh, secondary surrounded him. So I thought that was a, a good sign. But yeah, with Craig Nivar and uh, Dante Williams, people talk about the recruiting aspect, but they seem to have these guys playing at a high level. They are. They're playing at a good level, and uh, they're getting out of them what they should be, and uh, they're getting better every week. If you watch them play, Steele's getting better as far as his hands. Uh, you know, everybody's getting better. And, uh, again, you have to evaluate the talent they're playing against, too. It's not Alabama. 
But uh, again, you've got to evaluate progress, and that's what I'm looking at. You talked about the uh, the run game a little bit, so you know, I, I think we'll get some questions and stuff uh, on that. Uh, you know, five yards rushing overall, Coach. I mean, you saw that offensive explosion. You know, five touchdowns in the first half, but it was only 287 yards total offense for this team, which we've seen before them score. You know, USC score this many points getting like 470 yards of offense. So on one, on one end they, you know, they were more efficient, I guess, with the ball, as far as like when they, when they, you know, they got in the red zone, they were scoring points and then they sort of kind of took their foot off the gas in the second half. But what, what do you make of something like that? Where the yardage isn't anywhere near what the totals have been in other games, but their points were right up there. Well, I don't think they took their foot off the gas, Ryan. They didn't uh, do the right things as far as what they should do with the adjustments that Washington state did. Uh, but uh, but they did, uh, and when you talk about the stats, look at the field positions, onside kick in the second half, the turnovers they got. They didn't have to make long drives. They had uh, good field position. The defense gave them good field position. Uh, once I think they got the ball on the 13-yard line or the 10-yard line, one time they got down there on the 13-yard line or whatever, and they couldn't run the football in. Uh, one time they threw a fade to Jackson. I don't know, and the other time they had to kick a field goal. So, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, production uh, and, and stats, stats, I'm not into that. But the defense gave them, gave them great field position, great field position. And when you have that field ty- uh, type of pos- uh, position and you get in the red zone and so on, you should be able to score. And they did that, and times they didn't do that. And uh, it's going to be a concern down the road if you, you know, it depends. Uh, do you want to beat Alabama, like I said earlier, Ohio State, and all these teams? Do you uh, do you have the number one, number two running back in the country, Stephen Carr? And correct me if I'm wrong, two or three. And Harris is at Alabama, tearing them up, running the football, and they pass the football. They do it all. And we got a running back like Carr, and you got Steps, and you got Malapi and others, and five yards. It's not the kids, not the players. It's what you're doing with the players and what your philosophy is as far as with your offensive running game. There isn't any philosophy. So that's what's hurting USC overall, and you will not play on the championship level without a running game. And I keep saying that every single week. You hear Urban Meyer say it. You hear everybody say it. But I guess at USC, nobody cares. (laughs) I mean, I think – I don't know if no one cares. I wouldn't go there if I was a running back. I wouldn't go there if I was a running back. It's tough. I mean, Clay Alton talked, fir- talked the first couple of weeks about Alabama and LSU. They have these prolific passing attacks, but they also run the ball for 170 yards a game. USC had been doing that, so they felt like that's what USC is going to continue to do. Utah shuts them down, but Utah's got a great defensive front. Washington State doesn't. And they shut them down. So, yeah, I think there's some concern there, Coach, where you wouldn't have seen Alabama or LSU last year, or Alabama this year. LSU is pretty garbage right now. But those teams can throw the ball over the place, but they would still run consistently. Uh, there wasn't teams that were shutting them down. I, I I think there's, you know, this is one of those things where Clay Helton talks about something and then it doesn't come to fruition. How like it, 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 To me, Coach, it felt like, USC just happened to run for 170 yards or whatever it was in the first couple games. And then, so that's what they're saying. Well, that's what it's going to be like, but it wasn't. And I don't know. I mean, are, it sounds like you're concerned about that. I, I would be too. Some people say it doesn't matter. I, this is a passing offense. 
But when you're going to tell me that you got to run the football for 170 yards a game, you can't run for five against Washington State. Well, when you run against uh, when you get 170 yards in the Southeastern Conference, that's a little bit different than getting 170 yards in the uh, Pac-12. Okay. Uh, currently at the Pac-12, the highest-ranked team in the country is 16th, and that's USC. There's not another team in the top 25. So evaluate what you're playing against uh, and where you got your 170 yards and the teams that uh, haven't won a football game, okay? So you got to put everything together on who you are and what you expect to be and what type of performance you want. And you look at if you do have the possibility and potential of doing that because of what you do in your philosophy offensively, just like when they ask about the philosophy of going under center or having some type of idea of short yardage offense on the run or quarterback sneak, well, they, the offensive coordinator says, we don't do that here. Well, the head football coach's responsibility is to say, hey, I'm the head football coach here, and we are doing that here. Uh, if he has any knowledge of what you need to do as far as watching other teams play and, and what you need to do on short yardage offense as far as, you know, there's certain different things. Now, I'm just giving you my side of it. I know a lot of people out there saying, Coach, you're too tough on them. They won 38-13. to 13. Well, I have a different level of how I look at USC. I look at USC as one of the premier college football programs in the country. It should be on the same top ten list every single year. But every year it seems to drop down a little bit, and it's got to be for a reason. You can't lose that edge you've had. You can't lose that edge, and right now that edge is going. When you look at the top 25 teams in the Pac-12 and you have one team, what would you think people will think? And now you only have four bowl games left for Pac-12 teams to go to. But they just dropped the SoFi game in the SoFi Stadium, which was a Pac-12 team. And the Las Vegas Bowl, they dropped that. Sun Bowl, they dropped that. Holiday Bowl, they dropped that. So, you know, you've got to be uh, productive and you've got to look at what image or where, where we want to be at USC and how do we get there and, and all the different things. This is just my philosophy. And if I'm upsetting a lot of people out there and if you're a parent out there, I apologize. But I'm just telling you, this is what you have to do to win national championships as far as playing on that level, which I think USC should be playing at. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's, this is kind of a perfect... Um, encapsulation of USC football lately because you see that that first quarter which was an explosion and you see the potential right this team is really good athletes this is where they should be playing all the time and then it sort of falls off after that and that's kind of like what you have the something that you should have a really good taste in your mouth following this game and there's fans that even like hate Clay Helton and thinks he's the worst coach ever can't but smile at that, like, wow, that's pretty impressive. But then he get, you know, he gives them ammunition against Clay Helton again by, you know, getting outscored in the second half and not being able to run the football. So there's always going to be something that you can kind of complain about. There's, it, there, this was a real opportunity to put together a perfect, you know, sixty minute effort, and it it just failed. And I think that allows some of the Clay Helton critics to get even louder because, see, see, I told you, I told you. That was just the talent. That was just the players playing in the first quarter. And then when coaching got involved, that's what you saw. I don't know what you think about that, Coach. Yeah, they, 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 you got playmakers making plays. Hufunga, uh, St. Brown, London, 
These are playmakers. These are guys that when they get the football, they make a play. They make the effort. And uh, they make a, a play that's uh, two or three yards a bigger play or whatever it might be. These are playmakers. Now, put those playmakers into a, a rhythm and a system that's complete as far as the running game and the passing game. And if they give you the run, you force them out of the, the other coverages because you can run the ball. You'll jam it down to throat. If you're trying to run the clock out in a football game in the second half, you run the football and the clock, clock keeps going and you work on your running game and you just wear them out and finally you win the football game. They don't do that. They don't do that. They're still throwing the ball around because they can't make any yardage because they don't have any reason to make any yardage. They have no outside perimeter running game. They have no series. They don't have any bootlegs. They don't have any play action. They don't have anything. Don't call that little ride of play action, that zone read or whatever they do because the quarterback never carries it out and and Kendon never carries the football, never. And I watch every other great team play in the country, and the quarterback is running all over the field, scoring touchdowns, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. That make a difference who it is. But at USC, it's a different type of attitude, different type of philosophy as far as on the offensive side of the football. And, of course, I don't set that philosophy, but I said from day one, day one, that's a great offense for a team or an area that doesn't have great players that just tries to win a few games. Why do you think Mike Leach left Washington State? He left there because he could get as much as he could out of it, and now he got another job down in the Southeastern Conference for twice the pay, but he's having trouble winning down there because of his philosophy. So, you know, you got to look at the whole picture when you look at this. That would be great for a school uh, that needs to do something different to cause problems cause problems for teams that play them. They try to prepare for them in three or four days. One last thing, Coach, before we get to questions. I wanted to ask you, it's a weird stat, and uh, we don't get the stats a lot, but USC has not scored a touchdown in the third quarter this year. It's been it's been a problem over the years, but not having a single touchdown in the third quarter. Um, why would you think something like that is, or just for watching this team, why do you think that would be? Is that just like an anomaly, or is there a, an actual problem there? I really don't know, and I don't have an answer on that. Uh, uh, you'd have to go back. I think you'd have to go back and cut up the tapes and watch every third quarter and see exactly what adjustments were made at halftime. Did you adjust to certain things? Uh, did you have penalties? Uh, you didn't score? Uh, whatever. I, I can't answer that because I don't know. So there's been four games, so there have been four third quarters they haven't scored. So. I don't know why or have any reason, but if you wanted to find that out, somebody would have to do that. Would you like when you were a head coach? Like if one of your assistant coaches came to you and said, "Hey, coach, you know we haven't scored a touchdown in the third quarter yet." Like, what would your reaction be? Like, okay, I want to go look at see why that is, or is it, would that be a concern at all, or does it not really matter? It's just you know, it's just one quarter of a game. Well, if he was on the offensive side, it was the offensive coordinator. I'd tell him you better get your. <laughs> Get your shit together. Because I'm going to tell you what, I, I was wondering the same thing. I was telling them. I'm the guy who came to me before I could come in and rip your ass, okay? Uh, that's what I would tell him. Don't come in and ask me. I'd go in and tell him that because there's a, you know, uh, those type of things shouldn't happen, but they do happen. And, you know, there's so many stats today that everybody has a stat on anything. But uh, if I was there, I'd find out why and look at it and have somebody break it down. You only got 26 coaches. On your staff, I don't know what they all do, assistant to assistant to the assistant. 
that I'd have somebody do a study on that and break it all down and bring it into my office. And then I'd bring my offensive coordinator in and my defensive coordinator in and I'd lay it all out and say, now what's happening here? Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and we got to get, we got a bunch of questions. So we'll get to them back in a minute. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. We got a text from Ian in Santa Clarita. Uh, I think he sent this actually before the, uh, the game on Sunday. But he said, watching the Oregon-Oregon State game left me both feeling happy as USC's rival in the North got handed a loss while at the same time also knowing that uh, this is what the Pac-12 does best, beat each other up. That got worse this past weekend, Ian. Uh, <laughs> he said, but okay, my question is, do you guys see the way Oregon State's offensive line dominated in the trenches against a much more talented defensive line of Oregon, a team that I believe ranked 12th nationally in, you know, uh, according to PFF? This makes one think that it's obviously great to get four- and five-star linemen but look what you can do with two and three star linemen if they're simply coached up better and practice physically up front. Just a thought, Ian and Santa Clarita. Well, yeah, you know, uh, coaching is a big part of it. Uh, bringing players along and, and and developing them is a big part of it. But also, where are they ranked? What twelfth in the country in defense against the rush against who? Who have they played? Now, if they'd have played other teams in the country, I think they were supposed to have opened with Michigan. Well, Michigan didn't end up with anything. I think Oregon was supposed to open up with Ohio State. We'd have seen what their defensive front would have been like against them, what the staff might have been. So, stats, like I say, you know, uh, don't say much. But, you know, Oregon's not really a good football team. I told you that six weeks ago. I told you that when I saw them when they opened the season, whatever it was, four or five weeks ago, and I watched them play in their opening game against it was it Stanford, I think it was. Yeah. 
and they were down at half, and I watched them play Washington State. Now, Washington State gave them a battle if they were up at halftime. So, you know, and then they got beat this week, Oregon. So they're a so-so team. They're struggling, as Washington is struggling. Washington gets beat this last week, too, by who? Sanford beat them. So, you know, uh, you've got to look at stats and who they're playing. Now, if they're going to play Notre Dame, what do you think your stats might have been on the run or your defense? I mean, look who you're playing, and then you can lead the country in a lot of areas. But uh, uh, this year, fortunately... Uh, for the Pac-12, a lot of those big-time games uh, did not enter the schedule of uh, the Pac-12. Or I'm afraid to to say this, but I think the Pac-12 may have been may have been embarrassed as far as playing uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, some of the games that were scheduled for the uh, Pac-12. Yeah, no, I. Um... It could have been. It doesn't look like the Pac-12 is playing at a high level right now, but it is it is the COVID, you know, they started later than everybody, so there's there's a lot yeah, of factors. that's fa- true. There's no, a lot of factors. True, but, they, but everybody they played started the same thing. They, who have they played that had an advantage on them? Yeah, no, I mean, for USC, for sure. Um, I mean, like Oregon, losing to Oregon State, and then coming back and losing to a, un, you know, a winless Cal team <laughs> it doesn't make a whole lot of I sense. Know. It's very strange. So it's the it's the Pac-12, Coach. It's Pac-12 in 2020, which Pac-12 all by itself is crazy. Um, our buddy Curtis from Reno Valley, he says, my team, how I feel, don't get it twisted. I'm positive about my team, but I wish we blew out every team we played. But I played the game and coached it. A less talented team can beat you if the game circumstances are right. You have to take the those ugly wins and hope we improve. Many NCAA teams wish they were undefeated right now. That you know, I he might have said this in before the uh, the, the Washington State game. I'm not sure when this was uh, sent in. I wouldn't say this was an an ugly win, but you would have liked to see you know you blew them out. You know, beat a team by 25 points. Um, just didn't really do much in the second half. But right now, you're not going to make the playoff. I know Curtis talks about a win is a win. Um, you know, I I think being undefeated, there's something to be said for that. Like USC was really close to not being undefeated a couple of times, being down in the fourth quarter. But at this point, I think it's great. You want to try to go undefeated. You want to try to win the Pac-12. Maybe go to the Fiesta Bowl and like salvage something out of the season. You, coach, you mentioned all the other bowls that are getting canceled. It doesn't really matter if USC ends up winning the Pac-12. They'll still go to a great bowl. It might hurt. Oregon or Washington, maybe they don't get a bowl like they were going to before. But if you take care of your business, you have to decide what kind of value you're going to put on like a 6-0 and Pac-12 you know, championship season. But whatever. I mean, at this point, that's all you can really do. So I'm, I'm not faulting USC from trying to do that at all. I think it makes sense. I agree with you. I think that if they can get to a bowl game, I think it'd be great. Winning the Pac-12, I think it would be great. And I think that's what the goal is, and that's what it should be. And uh, that's a championship game as far as they're playing UCLA. If somehow Utah beat Colorado on Friday night, that would eliminate Colorado. And if USC goes undefeated and beats UCLA, they'll be playing either Washington or Oregon or somebody from the north. And there's no doubt in my mind they should be able to win that game and be, be uh, 6 or 7-0 and or whatever it is at the end. 6 would be 4, 5, 6-0. and uh, Yes, they play a team from uh, the Big Ten or the Southeastern Conference or somebody, which would have twice as many games almost played and uh, practice and all of the above, which I'm not quite sure how pretty that would be, but it gives them an opportunity for exposure to get in the game, and, and I think that's what you play for. 
the Pac-12 championship first and then see if you can get a New Year's Day game or something around New Year's. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, Curtis, for that one. We have a crazy Pac-12 football idea from Frank in Sacramento. How about we do some makeup game action at the end of the season with a, a North-South All-Star game? It's going to be for all players with NFL potential, Frank and Sacramento. What do you think about an all-star game for the Pac-12, Coach? Well, Frank, I think we're searching a little bit, okay? I think that there's too much of a chance of somebody getting injured. I think it would be good. Uh, we used to have things like that before. But these kids, as soon as the season's over with, they want to get up their senior. They want to get to, of course, their, their training uh, combine people and all these different things and get going and uh, I just don't think it would go over. Uh, but, you know, there's always ideas. I mean, I would probably watch it, but uh, I don't know if that'd be a feasible thing to do, and I don't think they'd ever put it in. I just don't think they'd do it. But, you know, thanks for your ideas. Yeah, probably not this year especially, because I think this is one of those things where they want to get the season in, but they don't want to do any more than they have to because you just want it to end and not have to deal with all this testing and everything that's going on all the time. Uh, the problem is, Frank, that what would happen is you put the all-star team together and people were like, could that all-star team beat Alabama? And you're like, mm, I don't know, maybe not. That would be uh, that would be one of the debates I think the Pac-12 would want to try to avoid. Um, got a voicemail for you, Coach, about uh, the defense. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Coach. Don from Chicago. Well, finally, our defense is playing with attitude. And I guess uh, Todd Orlando, I mean Tony Orlando, deserves some credit for this. Uh, all that was missing was Dawn. So uh, we showed up. We're showing some attitude. Like what I see. Coach, like your views on this. Thanks. Hey, real quick, well, Coach. I, why? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's complimenting Todd Orlando, but then he calls him Tony Orlando. I, like, if, it, if the defense played poorly, maybe if you want to say that. But when the defense plays well, I don't think you should be insulting the, the defensive coordinator. It doesn't make sense to me, Don. <laughs> I think I've called him Tony before by mistake. Excuse me for saying that, yeah. but uh, uh, you know, listen. I, I think the defense plays with an attitude. I, I said earlier in the uh, podcast today that they the defense is playing hard. I think they really play hard. Uh, they're swarming to the football. They're having fun. It looks like to me playing defense. They get excited about turnovers and all of the above. Uh, my main criticism uh, of the defense is uh, people out of position in some cases and, uh, and and that sort of thing. And I'm going to be real interested to see how they uh, try to defense uh, UCLA as far as with the possible, you know, uh, the reads and zone reads and so on and how much involved UCLA will want to get their quarterbacks in and carrying the football. They've got two quarterbacks now, so they might want to do that. And I think the whole game plan of UCLA is to run the football, which they're running the football really well. Their offensive line coach has done a great job of coaching them this year, and they're going to want to run the football at at USC, keep USC's offense off the field, run the clock down, and uh, try to dominate the game that way. And they're going to try to play a zone uh, defense and uh, invite USC to try to run the football, but they don't believe they can against them because UCLA's defense is really aggressive and they come with a lot of different things. Their kids are real, real quick and they got a lot of confusing type of coverages and the blitzes and so on. So I think that's got the, the philosophy you're going to see this week in the UCLA SC game. We're going to, we're going to talk about that a little bit. We have another voicemail that um, gets into uh, 
what UCLA is going to do. But, I, you know, I would say watching the defense early, Coach, they uh, there were some tackling problems with Washington State, you know, in that first drive or so. But I think they shored things up a little bit after that. And maybe some of it's attributed to you had a guy like Talanoho Funga playing out of position. They were playing mostly dime. So they were doing something they normally didn't do. And it's, it, to me, I thought they did a good job settling into it. And we didn't see, you know, they get Jaden Delora out of the game. They get him benched. He took off the run a couple of times and it wasn't like he broke up. You know, we saw Grant Gunnell pick up those first downs, you know, and, and it didn't happen with Jaden Delora. So I thought they did a good job containing him and not, you know, that's a good safety valve for some of these quarterbacks, right? You, know, you get up, I'm not getting through my progressions. I'm not finding the guy I want open, but I have a running lane and I can run and pick up the first down and then start over again. And they weren't giving him those opportunities to run himself and start over again. You know, after that first drive or two, it seemed like the tackling and everything got better for this defense. Yeah, they, they improved with their uh, with the success they had. They did, but uh, that those scrambles around that he did is not a design type of run. As far as when UCLA, if they're able to run the football inside and you pull the ball out and you go to the outside after you suck everybody inside, it's going to be very difficult, very difficult on them because they, they have not had great success. If you remember, Daniels had 111 yards rushing against them in the first game, and basically I told some people at Arizona State not their coaches, but somebody, uh, when I spoke with them that uh, for some reason they stopped running him, and if they'd have run him more, they'd have won that football game. For some reason, they didn't run him. They called it off. So, uh, you know, you've got a couple of guys that can run the ball pretty good, and it's designed type of zone read for them, and they run the ball inside well, and they uh, can run the ball outside because if you can't stop, the inside run, and then you jump in the inside, then they go outside, and they got play-action pass off of that. Could cause a problem, but the defense is playing hard, and uh, that's all you can ask the defense to do is to play hard, get to the football, get to the football, stay in your lanes, uh, do your responsibility first, and then get to the football. These, these are the things you talk over and over and over about. Don't make a mistake. It could cost us six. Don't make a stupid penalty. It could cost us more. All these type of things that you preach and preach and preach. Yeah. We got Jack from New Jersey. He says, Ryan, I'm being a realist, not a pessimist. The running game is abysmal. I don't care how well the passing game and defense have looked tonight. If you can't run the ball, you can't win a championship. As I wrote to you several days ago, if things don't change, elite running backs will not want to come to USC. I'm happy for the win, but not for the future. Jack from New Jersey. Just to note that uh, the early signing period is less than two weeks away. So it's... It's almost here, um, but yeah, what are your thoughts uh, about from Jack, New Jersey, what he said, Coach? Well, uh, I think he saw the same thing I did. We're all watching the same game, and for somebody to say, you know, we're not seeing the same thing, they don't m know much about football, and that's, that's what really concerns me a lot because all of us that know football, and I respect all of you out there that are talking about uh, what what's wrong with the running game and everybody else I talk to their coaches who know something about football talk about the same things I do as far as the overall philosophy of the running game uh, versus the passing game and they can you can do good at be good at both that there doesn't seem to be any type of caring regarding improving it's the same thing week after week after week so uh, maybe uh, uh, maybe we all don't know anything 
and maybe they they know it all. So that maybe next year we'll see Alabama, Notre Dame, Iowa, and every everybody else doing this, and uh, then I'll know that I was wrong. All right, we got uh, one last email and then one more voicemail for you, Coach. This is uh, Kevin, class of 2008. He calls it convincing wind. Wi- I'm sorry, convincing wind, kinda. Uh, hey, Peristyle team. Ah, oh, I'm so frustrated with this team and coaching staff. I love to see the player excitement, but celebrating the interception as we did sends a message like, wow, we can actually play up to our talent. You don't see these antics at the likes of Notre Dame, Alabama, Clemson, even Oregon. Play like you've done this before. Also, how is it that we can score 28 points in the first quarter but struggle to score 10 the rest of the game? I know it's called coaching and making in-game adjustments. He goes, I know it's called coaching and making in-game adjustments. Excuse me for that. Sorry for the short ranty email. I only had five minutes to write in, similar to the number of rushing yards USC had. Hair pull. Thanks and fight on. Kevin class of 2008. So he's saying not a pessimist coach, but he's a realist. Well, uh, he needed the vent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and whenever you need the vent, just write in or call in and we'll listen to you and, uh, listen to you during the game or whatever it is you're venting for yourself and we will listen and, uh, we'll agree with you. And if we sometimes disagree with you, it's just because that's why you called us to get some therapy on it. But, uh, yeah, we, we all feel the same way on this. I think most of us do. And, uh, and, and again, for you that missed the opening part of this podcast, or if you didn't start from the beginning, we congratulated them for their win. We talked about young players playing well. We talked about all the things that went well. And then, uh, you know, and then we thought to get down to the nitty-gritty that if I had a staff meeting on a Sunday or immediately following the game, I would bring out these points that I just talked to you about, but I don't know how long I'd be bringing out the points as far as the running game is concerned. And, and, uh, because it doesn't seem to improve and it gets worse. And you people out there along with myself become more critical. And I think it hurts the overall image of the football program and recruiting and performance and everything else. So uh, I think that's the best way to explain it. All right, we got one last question. It's a voicemail. Coach, here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is a question for both you and Coach Hyde. So, anyways, I've been away for a while, but I did say that I would be back. We won four straight games, including at least one road victory. So uh, I wasn't uh, quite as disengaged as I was when I was a little more upset last season, but uh, that being said, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's good to to have the Trojans earn uh, be another Parastyle uh, podcast phone call because I've missed uh, I missed uh, getting direct feedback on some of my questions for you guys. Anyways, a long intro that says you know just kind of reintroducing myself. But uh, that being said, do you think that UCLA will kind of swallow their pride and drop eight? Uh, to really try to disrupt USC's passing game? Or do you think they're going to continue with the aggressive style attack uh, that their front seven has been implementing, you know, that's that's shown them a lot of success? And if they do go into the aggressive, keep with the aggressive attack, do you think that USC's line will be able to hold up to it? 
fight on Jason along the country. Well, uh, I think that they'll uh, do both. I think that they've seen teams have had a, a success of so dropping eight because they haven't been able to run the football. They're very quick defensively, and I think they have the confidence that if they run the, the same running game that they're running, that they could stop it with their front guys. And I think they'll come after him too at times. I think they'll come in, show it, come after you. They'll, out, they'll overload a, a side where you, they'll have one more guy than you do. And unless the receiver and the quarterback uh, get it together on the reads or what's happening, uh, they'll do it. And they'll disguise it too. Come up, go back, whatever, and uh, try to confuse you and get you out of your rhythm. And if you don't get the first down, as uh, everybody talks about, you know, if you get two incomplete passes in a row, everybody knows what you're going to do on second down. If you don't uh, make five yards on first down somehow, everybody knows what you're going to do on second down. So, you know, you're sort of dictating to the defense, but the defense knows what you're going to do. So you don't have really the uh, advantage when you're on offense, when you can't get the five yards or the four yards or have the running game portion of it or, fool the linebackers with play-action pass. So basically, the defense is controlling the game. So, uh, yeah, I think they'll mix it up. I, I like this new uh, coordinator that came in that's working there at UCLA. came in, I think it was from Navy. He's done a great job. The players are really excited about playing football. You can see UCLA's excited. The, the first winning uh, record that uh, Chip Kelly's had over there. I feel they're very confident. They lost to Colorado, but they made a comeback. What was it, 48-42? They were down 42-14 or something. Came back. Ever since that time, they've been playing well. They're very confident. They're looking forward to this game. It's in the Rose Bowl. It's too bad, really, that there can't be a crowd there. I think it would be a great crowd. And I think SC's got to bring their game and be smart. And uh, I just say the same thing. If USC does the right things, they'll win the football game. I haven't seen any odds in the game or anything, but I would guess, I would guess the number on this game, I'd make six to eight USC the favorite. Now, I don't know. That's because of personnel. But I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. I think uh, I saw before the USC game, it was like two points or something USC was favored by. That could change now because obviously USC, uh, um, you know, looked impressive in that, at least that first quarter uh, against Washington state. So we'll see what happens there. I, you know, it is, I think it's a good question because we've seen this. If you haven't watched UCLA, they're a lot more fun to watch. Like Chip Kelly made this team boring. They were just not, they weren't good, you know, and they're more fun on offense to watch. Now they're more, definitely more fun on defense. You're seeing them flying around making plays, but it's been really aggressive coach. So we'll, Will they try to do what Utah did last year and play their game? And there's a lot of man coverages in there, or do they back off more or sort of like a mix of like uh, what you said, but they are a defense that's going to put a lot of pressure on you. And if USC still has some issues on the offensive line, um, I think UCLA can exploit it a little bit better than what Washington state was able to do. So that's going to be something to watch for sure. But this is a very feisty uh, UCLA football team. They kind of had a similar game against Arizona State. They came out and played really well early and then sort of like held on to win. Although that game was a lot closer, obviously. Um, and, you know, UCLA responded when uh, Arizona State did in the second half. It, Washington State just wasn't in it at that, you know, that was too big of a first quarter 
for Washington State to overcome. But this is a feisty UCLA squad, and they really do get after it. And you know the Bruins get up for this game. Um, this just looks like a different team from what I've seen from Chip Kelly than really the first couple years he's been there. Yeah, they look like they're happy. They look like they're having fun. I think he's got his players that he wants there now and have bought into what he's doing. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of transfer kids, JC kids playing. Uh, I think they bought in. They're doing a good job of coaching him, too. And uh, it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a good game, exciting game. I'm looking forward to it. It's a 4.30 kickoff. So it should be exciting for everybody. It should be. All right, Coach. Well, good stuff. Um, lots of good questions, good analysis of what we saw out there in the game. It's weird doing this on a Monday where the game just happened last night, but that's 2020. So um, good stuff there. We get to do our kind of post-game show a little closer to the game than we normally do. But uh, thanks again uh, for coming on, Coach, and uh, be safe, and we'll uh, get your thoughts next week after the Trojans take on the Bruins. Well, thank you very much. I tell you, it'll be a big week this week, and uh, college football is winding down, but it's exciting. I don't know what i do without football. Believe me, it's so fun to watch. And I tell you, when you sit back and you watch uh, uh, football, uh, it, uh, you say, what am I going to do when it's gone? What, what am I going to do? Uh, I tell you, you have football Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, back to Monday again. We've got NFL football Monday, two games today, Monday, one game Tuesday, I think another game Thursday, and then college football. It's unbelievable what we're doing. Yeah, it's it's like all the time football, which is great. We're going to miss it when it's gone, but we are got to be happy while it's here. All right, that's the Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We will talk to you next time. The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire, 2022.org. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event.
Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.